We began the letter of 2 Peter a couple of months ago. In chapter 1, Peter reminded us of what the Lord has done to the church. The Lord has granted us precious and magnificent promises. The promise of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the very life of God in you and in me, the promise of Jesus himself. And in chapter 2 of this letter of 2 Peter, Peter has been warning the church of the presence of false teachers. Those who would intentionally come in to lead followers of Christ away from the things of God. And this morning we begin the final chapter of, of this second letter of Peter. You know, the Lord called Peter to take care of the church. The Lord commissioned Peter to take care of his lambs to feed his sheep, to tend his sheep. And that's the heart of Peter is for the church, to point the church back to the things of God. And, and he begins chapter 3, verse 1. We'll look at the first nine verses quickly this morning. Peter says, Beloved, this is now the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by, by way of a reminder to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So, so Peter is writing to stir up sincere minds to, to, to remind them. This last chapter, he's been talking about false teachers. And now he's saying, I now want you to remember the words of the holy prophets and what the Lord has said to us. And he says, remember the words. To the prophets, remember the words of the Lord, which we've heard and we relate to you. So, so what did Peter and the, and the others hear? Well, chapter 1, verse 16. Peter has said the following. He, he says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. This is chapter 1, verse 16. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We, we weren't following tall tales or myths. When we made you aware of both the dynamic power and the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty, his glorious splendor on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and Peter says, when, when Jesus, when he received glory and honor from God the Father, such a declaration as this was made to him, Jesus, by the majestic glory of the Father, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And Peter says there in verse 18 of chapter 1, We ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven when we were with Jesus, when we were with him on the holy mountain. God said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And, and in one gospel account, the Lord says, Listen to him. Listen to my Son. And really that would end the sermon. <laughs> if, if the Lord... The Heavenly Father speaks to these disciples saying, listen to my son. And really, church, you in likewise fashion, listen to my son. Really, they're in the lesson. <laughs> the Father is pleased with his son. And, and Peter says, we ourselves heard this declaration. We were there. We were with Jesus and heard this. All have heard the Father expressing his pleasure with the son's obedience. And Peter is saying, this is what we've heard from the Lord. And in, in chapter 1, verse 19... Peter says, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure. 
to which you would do well to pay attention. <laughs> he doesn't pull punches, and he says, pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. We have this prophetic word made sure. It's, it's, it's confirmed beyond doubt. All to whom the Old Testament prophets, everything which they have spoken, everything to whom they've pointed, that's the Messiah, the Anointed One, that's been fully realized in Jesus, the light of the world. John would write in, in the first chapter of his gospel about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, that lamp shining in the darkness. And his day is coming. Peter says, chapter 3, in verse 3, Peter says, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts, and, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were since the beginning of creation. In, in the same way that, that haters are going to hate, mockers are going to mock. They will come with their mocking. Mockers will be following after their own lusts. Following after. Jesus said in Mark 8, he gave the definition of a disciple. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and, and follow me. And these mockers, they're proceeding in the opposite direction from following Jesus following after Jesus, these mockers, they're ordering their lives around their own lusts. They're, they're following their own lusts. They are, in essence, disciples of lusts. And, and they ask a question. And the question they ask, I, I think, is fair and legitimate. But it's how they ask the question. Where is the promise of his coming? Maybe you've heard a similar question. I thought Jesus was supposed to be coming back. Well, they ask this, and then they, they tell why they're asking it. Well, forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. And, and so two questions, who are the fathers, and are they taking a nap? Well, the fathers are the fathers of what would become our Christian faith. These fathers would point to the restoration of a relationship between the Lord and His people. We can go back to Noah and see his faith through obedience to the Lord. We, we can see the same thing with Abraham, the same thing with Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph, the same with Moses. We can go down to King David and remember God's promise of faithfulness first made to Abraham, being continued through David's lineage, of the kings of Israel and, and Judah, we, we see the Lord raise up other fathers of the faith, all of the prophets who would point to this Messiah, the anointed one, and the one who would shepherd his people. All of these fathers, well, well, where, where are they? Well, they're deceased. They're not napping. They're, they're dead. These mockers, they posit the following question. For the statement, for ever since they've died, all things are continuing as they always have since the beginning. And, and Peter says in verse 5, For when they maintained this, 
it escapes their notice. Things escape my notice frequently. I can relate to that statement, Peter says. <laughs> it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water by water, and through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. So the mockers, they say this, as it has escaped their notice, and we'll see that one more time. They either forget or they don't acknowledge the following. The heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and by water by the word of God. You know the words, I'm sure, by heart from Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, was, a, was a formless and death, desolate emptiness, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters, and it was so. And, and then in verse 9 of Genesis 1, God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God said, and, and it was so. But then what happened? Peter says that those who mock the believers, they forget that the world at that time was destroyed, flooded with water. We know the story. But we may need a reminder of the reason why the world was flooded. And in Genesis 6, we read, the Lord sees that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. People will tell me, this is the worst the world has ever been. This is the worst we've ever seen. And I said, yeah, it's almost as bad as Genesis 6. We didn't get too far in the Bible before things took a turn for the worst, did we? The Lord says in Genesis 6, I will wipe out mankind whom I've created from the face of the land, for I'm sorry that I've made them. And the flood comes. And Peter says that all of this escapes the notice of the mockers. But, in verse 7, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. We see the day of judgment throughout the Old Testament. But it's reserved for individuals. It's reserved for peoples. It's reserved for nations. This one verse is where we get the most complete picture of what's going to happen. A day is coming. And what happened with water will happen with fire. The present heavens and earth, they are being reserved for fire. This reservation is being kept for the day of judgment. This reservation is being kept for the destruction of ungodly people. In case you don't know or you, you haven't heard what's going to happen. Well, Isaiah 66, verse 15 and 16, we read, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, and to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on humanity, 
and those put to death by the Lord will be many. Matthew 24, Jesus' words, Jesus said, The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. A day is coming. We read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. All of this happens according to his word, the word of the Lord. And in the same way that the Lord spoke into existence creation itself, the Lord will speak judgment to the entire created order. As the Lord spoke judgment with water, he will do so with fire. He will use fire and not water. Why? Well, the Lord said in Genesis chapter 9, verse 15, Never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Peter says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. He loves the church. He's tending to his sheep. Don't let this, don't miss this fact, beloved. Don't let it escape your notice that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. If all else has escaped your notice, don't be like those in verse 5. <laughs> don't let this one fact escape your notice. The Lord's timetable is not like ours. With the, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. With the Lord, a thousand years is like one day. Meaning what exactly? There's a prayer of Moses in Psalm 90. Moses, the man of God, this psalm is entitled, A Prayer Regarding God's Eternity and the Brevity of Human Life. And Moses begins, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn mortals back into dust and, and say, return, you sons of mankind. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Time is short. And, and Peter says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not willing, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And that's the word. All, he wants all to come 
to repent, to turn from their sin. And as some folks count slowness, the Lord is not slow about his promise. But the Lord is patient. The Lord is patient toward you. He's, he's patient toward me. And it's a different kind of patience than ours. One writer said that uh, men are slow in fulfilling their promises from various, often selfish motives. But the Lord's delay comes from love and long-suffering. The Lord gives us a message through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel, a name which you've heard and some of you have read prophecies of Ezekiel, but in Ezekiel chapter 18, these are the words of the Lord. When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and he commits injustice and he dies because of it, for his injustice which he has committed, he dies. But when a wicked person turns away from his wickedness which he has committed and he practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Since he understood and turned away from all his offenses, he's repenting. He's turning away from all those things which he has committed. He shall certainly live. He shall not die. And then the Lord says this, Ezekiel 18, verse 29. But the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not right. It sounds like 2021, doesn't it? Are my ways not right, house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? And the Lord says, Therefore I will judge you, each according to his conduct. Repent and turn away from all your offenses. There's that word again. So that wrongdoing does not become a stumbling block to you. Hurl away from you all your offenses which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, house of Israel? And the Lord says this, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. A lot of people say that God is a hateful God, an angry God. They've not read the Bible, evidently. The Lord says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. He doesn't say, therefore, live. He says, what? Therefore, repent and live. And Peter says that the Lord is not willing for any to perish. The Lord is willing for all to come to repentance. Jesus would share with Nicodemus words which we find in that famous verse in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Those words come after a retelling of what happened in the, in the wilderness with Moses and the Israelites. Jesus tells Nicodemus about the one who would be raised up to look on Jesus, the one who would be raised up 
all who would look on him would live. But when we look at Jesus raised up on the cross, that means we have to submit to that. It's not just saying, oh, there he is. It's our posture. We are deferring our being in charge to the Lord being in charge. If we believe in him, we will not perish. We will have eternal life. And you see, this is Jesus' first coming. Jesus would go on to say in the very next verse, in John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. So, so today, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, today's the day of salvation. That's good news. Thanks be to God. The Lord is patient toward you and toward me, and he's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. However, there's the matter of his second coming. We just read in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Jesus, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, we're, we see Jesus is coming again as righteous judge. A day is coming when the Lord's patience will run out. Today is the day of salvation. Why must there be judgment? Why must there be judgment? Paul, in his letter to, to the Roman church, he explains how we have a broken fellowship with the Lord. Everyone needs salvation because we've all sinned. No one is righteous, not even one. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. See, God is holy and man is not. And the, and the price, the, the consequence, the penalty, ooh, of our sin is death. We forget the ugliness of our sin, don't we? The penalty is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. There is judgment. But thanks be to God, in this day there is still mercy. Romans 6.23, yes, tells us that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Lord, Lord's part of it, though. He's in charge. He's in charge. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He paid the price for our sins by his death on the cross. And, and Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that's quickly become my favorite verse tells us that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Today is the day of salvation. How, how can you be saved? Romans 10, 
verses 9 and 10 reads, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. A day is coming. Jesus is coming again as righteous judge. And we need to be ready for that day. Let today be the day of salvation. 